That song is uh, one of the themes of the book of Revelation. Uh, things are not good for these churches. Life is hard. Uh, some of them are not being faithful to the way of Jesus. And Jesus says things like, I'm going to come and take away your lampstand. Um, some of them are going through hardship and they're facing tough choices. Do we give in to the ways of the world or do we stay firm with Jesus? And if we stay firm with Jesus, what are we willing to give up for that? For some, it ends up being their life and for some, it's their jobs. And so even in the midst of the lowest valley, they still choose to praise. Revelation is a book about worship and it's worship of God. Last week was all about the throne room of God and worthy is the lamb who was slain. And, and there's some more worship that's going to happen here in chapters six and seven. But it's important for us to remember that this worship and this message all comes from a place of the underside of power. Um, we don't live very oppressed lives. Um, we just don't, uh, most of us. Now there's pain and there's hardship and there's brokenness uh, in our world. Um, but compared to what uh, these people are going through, we, we have it fairly easy, at least in terms of politics and freedom and the ability to come and go as we please. Life is not always good, um, but, but for most of us, uh, we, we, have, we, we see things more from the top side. And so as we read Revelation, we need to read it. What would we be thinking if we were occupied by a foreign power, if we weren't able to worship freely the way we wanted to, if there was a risk that we couldn't feed our family, uh, if we don't go along with things that we think are completely ungodly? Um, and when we read it from that lens, the worship becomes more powerful. Worship is a spiritual weapon in this battle of good versus evil. When we choose to praise, we're pushing back against the forces of darkness. And so last week we saw there's a scroll and no one is worthy to open the scroll until they say, look, the lion of Judah. And John looks and instead of a lion, it is who paid attention? A lamb. I, I could read lips there, Kim. That was good. A lamb. There was a lamb that looked like it was slain, a slaughtered lamb, not just any lamb, a slaughtered lamb. And the, and the idea that we talked about last week is the way of Jesus is the way of the slaughtered lamb. And there's the way of Rome and the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is to be self-sacrificial and lay down our lives. And that's the way that Jesus was worthy because he laid down his life. And so this lamb now can open the scroll and it's largely understood that this scroll is God's plan to bring salvation and redemption to all of creation. And in order for these things to happen or for God's plan to come to fruition, there's some other things that need to happen first. So as we read this a couple things, I want to, I've said this every week and we're doing discussion again because I don't just like to talk at you and there's not a lot of us tonight. So I need you to, participate with me or we're going to be here for five hours because I'll just keep talking and talking. And last week, Kristen wanted to get my attention and tell me that, eh, but I ignore her anyway. So, uh, yeah, she's nodding her head in agreement. What was I going to say? Oh, it is more about their present than it is about predicting the future. I, I made a post on Facebook about masks and I use the phrase, the fabled mark of the beast, meaning that it's famous and it's mythological, like there's legends around, like it, I, and, and now I've been having people who I don't know question my theology. Do you not believe the Bible is the word of God? And it's just ridiculous. What I believe is that it was intended for these people right here and now, and we can still learn from it. 
And so when we're talking about these things unfolding, the point wasn't to look forward to someday, 2,000 years in the future, when this would happen. These are things that are happening. These are, this is going on currently. God's plan is being brought to fruition. And so we're, it's not fully experienced. There is future because there will be a day we're going to read about with no more tears and no more heart, heartache. Obviously, we're not there yet. We're in the midst of some of this. And so God's vision in Revelation is to these churches, and it's largely symbolic, largely symbolic. There's lots of symbolism here. Political cartoon. Think political cartoon as we read this. So I'm going to read chapter six. We'll talk about it. Think about what stands out to you, what questions it raises in your head, and we will try and get done before 11 o'clock tonight. So then I looked as the lamb opened one of the seven seals. I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and was given a crown and he went forth from victory to victory. When the lamb opened the second seal, <clears throat> excuse me, I heard the second living creature say, come. Out came another horse, fiery red. Its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would kill each other. He was given a large sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. So I looked and there was a black horse. Its rider held a balance for weighing in his hand. I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures. It said, a quart of wheat for a denarian and three quarts of barley for a denarian, but don't damage the olive oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. So I looked and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death and the grave or Hades was following right behind him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, disease and wild animals of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar those who had been slaughtered on account of the word of God and the witness they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, holy and true master, how long will you wait before, where was that? How long will you wait before you pass judgment? How long before you require justice for our blood, which was shed by those who live on earth? Each of them was given a white robe and they were told to rest a little longer until their fellow servants and brothers and sisters who were about to be killed as they were, were finished. I looked as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as funeral clothing and the entire moon turned red as blood. The stars on the sky fell to the earth as a fig drops its fruit when shaken by a strong wind. The sky disappeared like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the officials and the generals, the rich and powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and in rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the lamb's wrath. The great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So that's the stuff of nightmares uh, right there. We've got horsemen coming out with weapons to kill and, and taunt and fight, and we've got mountains and hiding in caves and martyred people under the altar. Uh, what things stuck out to you there as we read that? Okay, are you saying this has already happened? Happening. So 
I would say that my, this is up for interpretation from the books I'm reading, in my opinion, this is the world in which we currently live. We live in a world marked by these horsemen. We live in a world where there are martyrs who are waiting to be avenged and who are being added to daily. And we live in a time maybe where people are afraid to face God. Now I'm not actually, I'm kind of not positive on that one because I think we aren't always afraid to face God. We think God's a big teddy bear. Um, but the idea that I have picked up on was that these these seals are explaining the world in which um, they are already living. That God is God's kingdom is yet to come, so it's not come in fullness. But that God is not sitting by idly. That God is at work in the world, bringing judgment upon those who don't choose God's way. Now, there are some people that say this is all future and there will be a day when these things will escalate and become more pronounced. Um, but, yeah, that's a, it's a point of contention. Um, one of the, some of the books I've been reading saying, if that's only true in the future, <clears throat> then what is God doing now in the world? And so we would say Christ is resurrected. The lamb is on the throne and these seals are, they're God's, we're not done and we have not finished because when we get to the sixth and seventh seal, we'll say we're, we're obviously not here yet. There's a pause in between the sixth and seventh. And most people that I'm reading say that's, we live kind of in this in between time. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's obviously not clear <laughs> and there are different opinions and I think that's okay. Um, if we were in the first century, what do you think we would be hearing if this was written to us? Like if you were on the underside of the empire, you were challenged by Jesus to be faithful to the way of Jesus. Don't give in to the Romans. Don't worship the pagan gods. Uh, don't lose your first love. And now we have this, picture of all these writers coming in these seals what do you have any idea what they might be thinking or what that might mean to them because we need to ask first what it means to them before i think we can ask what it means to us they might have seen rescue coming rescue yeah I think rescue is a, a great word for it. That, that you are not forgotten. There is a battle taking place. Um, it is a, it, we don't always see it. This is him having a vision in the heavenly realms. So it's maybe not a literal horseman, but some, some variation of spiritual warfare. Um, but you, yeah, rescue, you will be rescued. Anybody else? Any ideas? I mean, I think if we've been talking about the first five chapters um, in the context, you know, if um, the empire or whatever, the beast is Nero, like, it's not far-fetched at all for us to say that these seals, they were living in them. I mean, um, there was no peace. People were killing each other with the sword. And in certain situations still in the world today. Like we see 
um, places where people can't afford to get wheat and barley and bread and whatever. I mean, it's like all these things are the world in which we live. And so I think like if everything else has been in their context, it's really easy for us to look at that and say, um, you know, things were not good. And I, I liked what Kim said about it. They, were, they might see rescue in that. This, this white horse comes in and um, is given victory over all of these things. Maybe, I'm not exactly sure. You can tell me if my interpretation's wrong. But like, I mean, I, I think that's really true that they would see this as a statement of what they're currently walking through um, and that there's a victory coming, there's rescue coming, there's hope coming. Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's right on because it talks about the very end, the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand. This is God's judgment against the Roman empire and God is going to pay them back with what they have brought on the world. And so they, the, the, each horse seems to represent a different aspect of, of Babylon, of Rome, of the beast powers that be. Uh, the first one is the horse of conquest, of the oppressor, the one who's in charge. Um, you know, they, they had no actual freedom because Rome, they were, they were the victors. The second uh, is the red horse with the sword and taking peace from the people. War was rampant and they lived incredibly bloody and deadly times. Um, the third horse, the black horse, a lot of times they call it the, the horse of famine um, or, or pestilence where they would, um, prices would skyrocket during famine. And so a quart of wheat for a denarian is you would pay a day's wages for a quart of wheat, which is eight times the price of what you would normally charge. And barley was even uh, three quarts for a day's wages and barley was the food for the, for the poor folks. And then, but don't damage the olive oil and the wine. It seems to be pointing to some kind of, there's some luxury and the olive oil and the wine flow for the rich and they, they have everything they need, but the poor and the working class, the, the church maybe are struggling to make ends meet. They're paying eight times inflation and there's injustice in the Roman empire. They get rich off the backs of other people. Um, and then this fourth seal, the, the, the pale horse, this rider's name was death. Anybody seen the movie Tombstone? Uh, it's an old Western type movie with Val Kilmer and why it's about, uh, Doc Holliday and, uh, Wyatt Earp. Anyway, he says, anyway, he quotes this line in that movie and it makes, anyway, the Bible. Um, uh, but the, but death and Hades, the grave are coming along behind them. And so it, it seems to be that God is paying back Rome for all the wrongs they have Everything that Rome has done, how Rome has come to power, being oppressive, be, waging war, being unjust, um, bringing death and disease wherever they go, they're going to face the same consequence, which would be good news if you've been bullied and, and your rescuer says, hey, they're going to get what they have sown. They're going to reap what they have sown. Um, that would be a good news of rescue for those people. Um, there's, some, there's some debate uh, in these is is God operating outside of love is God operating outside the way of the lamb by using things like um, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse to accomplish his judgment and and some people say yes God is is not uh, wouldn't do that some people say no God is righteous and he's gonna choose who who is uh, gonna 
face the wrath in a, in a just way. Um, one of the one of the interpretations that I have resonated with as I've been studying this week is that um, these things are all the consequences that we naturally encounter when we refuse to follow the way of the Lamb. So if we choose our own way, if we choose to be selfish, if we choose to hoard and be greedy, if we don't follow the ways of Jesus who shows us how to be perfectly human, then we are going to find ourselves reaping these four horsemen. We're going to have conquest and, and sometimes maybe we'll be on top, but sometimes we'll be on bottom and we're going to have war and we're going to have injustice and, and we're going to have death follow along behind us. I, I like that interpretation because the idea that God uses death, this fourth horse, death is the enemy from the garden of Eden till the end. Death, death is the enemy. Death is a consequence of sin. It's not, it's not a tool that God is trying to use um, to bring about good. Death is bad. And as we read through revelation, death and Hades, Hades is the place of the dead, the grave, the CEB translated, they get thrown into the lake of fire. And so they're destroyed. And so they're not on, they're not on God's payroll, if we could put it that way. And so I think we are, we are, we, we are, we reap the consequences of our sin, uh, which I think we've all experienced that, right? In our life, there's times when we have chosen things that we know were not things that we should do, and it came back to bite us in the hind end. Anybody relate to that a little bit? Um, I know I have. And so it's less about God being mad at us and you better not, and I'm going to ground you, and more about, I told you not to do that, and now that you have done it, you're going to face the full weight of that decision, um, which another thing about this is in my reading that, that God's judgment is always meant to bring about redemption. God is trying to, trying to get people to turn to him. God does not want to cast people into lake of fire. God wants all people to know him, that none would perish. And so even these things that seem scary and destructive, the intent is that people would turn to God and say, yes, you are truly the one who is, who is master and Lord and, and worthy of praise. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I do know I'm talking too much. So am I making it cloudy? Am I making it make any sense? Am I dodging questions that I don't, because I, I, I don't know. I have opinions and I try to give as much, uh, clarity around what's my opinion versus what I think is is straightforward but I don't want to be accused of ramrodding some weird stuff through here what is your what are your thoughts on God using conquest and war and injustice and death to bring about judgment I mean is that are we comfortable with that are we not comfortable with that is that challenge what you think of God is that some of us grew up with a very angry view of God and some of us maybe not. He did it all the time in the Old Testament. Yeah, in the Old Testament people experienced the wrath of God through war and famine and locust and plagues. We're going to get to some plagues here in a little bit and so God has used all sorts of crazy horrible things in order to bring about judgment on God's own people and on their enemies. And so it doesn't change. So it's not hard to see that he would be using, still using those same methods. Mm -hmm. Right. Anyone else thoughts on that? 
let's let's skip the the fifth seal and go to the sixth for a second when he talks about you know people are hiding in caves they're they want the rocks to fall on them because they don't want to face the lamb's wrath what kind of wrath might a lamb have I've never met an angry lamb, but I don't imagine that I would be that afraid of it. Um, we got I've any farmers? It. Colton has a really mean ram. Yeah, there you, yeah, a ram I could see. That would be trouble. Yeah, he butts <laughs> the fence or anything close to the fence. Mm -hmm. So he was once a lamb. Yeah, that's true. I think I, I like the wording because it reminds us that this is not just an angry, vengeful God, but a God who is known through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full picture of God, who is the lamb that was slain. And so even the anger or the judgment, the wrath that we might see in this God is self-sacrificial. It's loving. It's, it's not me losing my patience on my children um, because I'm not, my wrath is not always lamb-like. Um, sometimes it's quite beastly. And so even the judgment, even people being afraid to face God, God's judgment and, and condemnation of sin comes from a place of love and crucifixion and the same God who would lay down their life to, to buy forgiveness of sins. Like that, it's coming from that place rather than a, like some of us have encountered maybe parents or bosses or uh, churches where it's a very angry God who can barely stand the sight of us and it's so fed up. Um, but here it's, it's the lamb who was slain for all humanity. Um, so, so even the judgment of God comes from a place of love and is meant to bring correction and redemption. Uh, it's not too late to turn around um and yeah that makes sense so, so let's go back to the fifth oh go ahead so were they ashamed of the lamb coming back is why that they don't want to yeah, be so, go ahead yeah the the understanding of of the gods plural lowercase g at that time was that these gods are very finicky and and petty and if we don't honor them the right way then they're going to get us and so these people are hiding because they're they have rejected this god so obviously that this god is going to to doom them rather than god's intention is to save them and so because they have chosen sin and because they've chosen the ways of the beast that they're they just can't even comprehend the fact that that there could be salvation um so yeah, there's. I think a shame. It's a shame. There's a shame that they're realizing that their way is not the way, and that there is a better. There is a better way. And again, this is obviously uh, not literal. The sky cannot roll up like a scroll. But that's how they thought. They thought that there was there was a a canvas. That was the ancient understanding of the cosmos. There was a canvas in the sky, and it, and it moved, and that sun was the one part. It was kind of like this big scroll and you roll it up and the idea is that now god's looking right down on you and it's kind of like when you look up and your parent is in the same room and they realize that you're painting the wall or whatever you're not supposed to be doing you're just like you're busted and so they're hiding they're cowering because they're busted and so 
Um, the church doesn't seem to be the ones that are afraid. The church understands that this is good. God's bringing salvation and redemption. But if you've sided with the beast, the empire, salvation looks like bad news because you've been the oppressor. You've been the unjust. You've been the one who is, who is worshiping these false gods. And it, and it goes kings and generals, like all, everybody. It doesn't exclude anybody. And then the fifth seal is the one where under the altar, there's the, those who are slaughtered on account of the word of God and the witness they have given. They cry out, holy and true master, which would have been a title used for Caesar. So there's a political, the political title. They're saying, you're, you're the real holy and true master. Uh, how long will you wait before you pass judgment? They're wanting to be avenged. They want justice. They have been killed unjustly because of their faith in Jesus. And I think that if we've ever been wronged, if we've ever experienced hardship from somebody who was a bully or a jerk or straight evil, we have that same desire to see things set right. And um, I, that, I think that God has that same desire too. God is a just God. He wants to see things set right. Uh, and injustice is not going to fly. Anything else in that section? Kristen, you got questions, thoughts, comments? No. Okay. Are you asleep? Okay. Well, I was just thinking about what you said about um, the the gods of that day, the pagan gods were known as being finicky. And so people were afraid that if they didn't please the gods, then they would experience the wrath of the gods. And I almost wonder, we know that our God is not finicky. We know that the lamb who was slain is not finicky, that that lamb is grace and mercy. And, and so, I don't know, I'm just, maybe a question for you and me to talk about later, but I'm just wrestling with like, if they had the fault, this wrong understanding about our God because of how it was affected by the cultural understanding of the pagan gods. So it's saying that they're afraid of the lamb but they shouldn't have been afraid of the lamb. And that makes me feel like, I don't know, maybe they should have been afraid of the lamb. I don't know. I, yeah, I pick up what you're putting down. And we're actually going to see in chapter seven, a little bit of response to this. So you remember the sixth seal, all the kings and all the generals, slaves, free, rich, powerful, everyone is hiding, right? In chapter seven, everyone, or a lot of everyone's is worshiping at the throne so let's read chapter oh, real quick though i tend to think that um i know we talked about whether or not we're comfortable with this being if, with god being like wrathful and using these things but i tend to think that more what you said these are the consequences of the sin in the world rather than the lamb who is not like the other gods bringing vengeance vengeance and wrath on us sometimes i think that it was just that they had a poor understanding of who god was and god was trying to reveal god's self to them over and over and over again and even in the person of jesus they still didn't quite get it absolutely i think of a, a very a, there's many serious examples in my life when i've done some chosen sin and and paid the piper 
but there was a time when I spent the night at my cousin's house and I ate an entire bag of red Twizzlers and an entire bag of red Twizzlers. And I slept on the pullout couch with my cousin and woke up in the middle of the night and the entire bag of red Twizzlers was no longer in my stomach and it was now on my cousin. And I paid the consequence of making a, a terrible choice, stupid choice. But there was an, it wasn't like God was like, I'm punishing you. It was like your stomach just cannot handle that much food. And then my, but my choice spilled out onto other people. And so I, that's the same with sin, right? Like we have, there are just natural consequences and God's not up there just throwing lightning bolts, trying to pick and, but there are natural consequences to our choices. And sometimes those consequences spill out onto other people and it's destructive and harmful and the lamb is at work trying to make all that right. The lamb is my aunt, Cindy, who had to come downstairs <laughs> and clean up the mess. So that's a great little word picture for you. Um, but it just, that, that there, it's the natural consequence of choosing something that is destructive. Sometimes you throw it back up. So chapter seven, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. They held back the earth's four winds so that no wind would blow against the earth, the sea, or any tree. I saw another angel coming up from the east, holding the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to damage the earth and sea. He said, don't damage the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of those who serve our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After this, I looked and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the land. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be, be to our God forever and always. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, who are these people wearing white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, sir, you know. Then he said to me, these people have come out of the great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the lamb's blood. This is the reason they are before God's throne. They worship him day and night in his temple. And the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will bear down on them because the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Then when the lamb, oh, oh that's chapter eight. Stopping there, chapter seven. So here now we have some interesting imagery going on. We have um, the four angels holding back the four winds at the corners of the earth. Again, they thought the earth was flat and a square and it's not. We know that, but that was just the ancient understanding. And so the idea of angels holding back the wind means 
most people interpret it as that we're holding back judgment. Judgment is paused at the moment. And until everyone can be sealed and then it lists the tribes of Israel, but this list of tribes of Israel is not found anywhere else in scripture. It's a conglomeration of different lists. It includes Joseph and one of Joseph's kids, but not one of Joseph's other kids. It includes the tribe of Levi, which is not typically included because they didn't get their own land. They served as priests everywhere. And there's lots of theories about why that is. My answer is, I don't know. Um, so if you know, Type in, let me know. I have no clue. Mo no, every book I read, they were like, there's a few theories, but we don't really know. But what's more important here is it's 144,000. And there are some churches who take that number very, very literally. And there will be 144,000 people who are saved to the highest heaven someday when Christ comes again. How do you feel about that? Comfortable with that? I've got Not my elect. I've got my elect card. You don't have yours? Uh, my forehead is not stamped, so I don't, I don't have it. He goes against God wanting everyone to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. So that 144,000 can't be a maximum. Yeah, I agree. If God desires none are lost, but then only really has room for 144,000. In all of human history, we have 7 billion people on earth right now. That's, I mean, we say the way is narrow. That's not even narrow. That's, that's nothing. Um, so I, most people seem to think that this is just a representation of God's, the people of God, that the people of God are present. And the people of God, so the 12 tribes, so if you would square 12, multiply it by a thousand, you get 144,000. It's the same way that my kid might say a billion or infinity. It's supposed to be this giant. Googleplex. A Google, Googleplex is their favorite one right now. Yeah. Um, it's this giant. I mean, for that, again, these are people who have no understanding of the stars and the cosmos the way that we do. They, they don't have computers and calculators. And so a thousand was an exuberant amount, exorbitant, whatever the word is, amount of people. And so it's, it's 12, which is the number of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, that number represents God's people. So it's 12 times 12 times a thousand, just a massive number, seeming to indicate that all God's people are going to be sealed and saved and, and present, not saved from the hardship, but eventually finally, eternally saved. But then we have another play on words here, just like we had, look the lion in chapter uh, four or five, and he looked and he saw a lamb. Here it's, I er, yeah, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. And then you go down to verse nine and he says, after this, I looked and there was a great crowd that no one, could number it's not 144,000 it's two we can count to 144,000 that's how many people show up at a Nebraska football game uh we, we can we can that's countable it was countable then it was a lot but the idea is that it's this massive sea of humanity every tribe and tongue and nation represented and the scripture has not gone gone to the ends of the earth yet like the church is still new and and we're, we haven't sent missionaries out but it's showing that God's desire, again, is that none should perish. 
and that we we don't have to fear the lamb's wrath we need to choose the way of the lamb so that we can be a part of this great multitude that cannot be counted every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne in white robes which means victory waving palm branches which was a sign and when your conquerors came back from war you wave your palm branches that's what's going on on palm sunday Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb in this battle between the beast, the empire, Rome, Babylon, Egypt, and the way of God. God will be victorious. There will, God will win. And if we're writing to churches on the underside of empire that are, have no power, that have no say, that are discouraged, that's really good news. Now that victory is obviously far off in the future. That it, it's, it might be far off in our future, maybe 2,000 years from now. But in the end, God will be victorious. Don't give in to the ways of the empire. Don't forget, because there's only two sides. There's Babylon and the beast and Jesus and the lamb. And so which one will you choose? The message over and over again is to choose the one who will be victorious. The way of Jesus. Any thoughts, comments about that? I'm especially thankful right now that he is victorious, given all the confusion and garbage going on right now. It's the one thing that, you know, whatever happens, he is victorious. Yeah. And if you're not, I mean, we, we, even as good as we have it, the world still is a mess and there's so much hurt and hardship and heartbreak and things are messy. And so the message that God is going to be victorious is encouraging. It can help us to keep going and, and to fight on, even when we don't feel it, even when we're tempted, sometimes it's like, no, God will be victorious and I need not give in and, and I can push against discouragement. I can join in this song. Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Yeah, I think it would, that's how they would have heard it. It would have been good news. You're oppressed and the Romans are everywhere and you feel like you have nothing, but God will be victorious. And you feel like you don't know which way is up in the world in 2020 and things are chaotic and our politics are a mess and our churches are fighting and our economy is whatever. Like, Hey, God will be, our, our hope is not in our country and our hope is not in anything other than the one who sits on the throne and victory belongs to our God and to the lamb. And there's this group wearing white robes and one of the elders asks, where did they come from? Which is kind of funny. And John's like, uh, you know, and so he says, they've come out of the great hardship. Now, a lot of translations have that as the great tribulation. And we have interpreted that as a, there will be a time, a specific time, generally understood as a seven-year period of tribulation before Christ comes or after Christ comes. There's some different theories. Uh, I am convinced that there is tribulation from the time of the first century church till today, till the time when Christ returns again. We live in tribulation. The early church is obviously going through tribulation. They have, they have all sorts of struggle that they're going through, hardship. We have it today. Tribulation is not just one set period of time. It is 
the era in which we live. It's the air in which we breathe. And we're trying to be faithful to the way of Jesus in a world that crucifies Jesus. It's tribulation. It's not like there may, we'll, we'll get to the part where they talk about seven years and a thousand year reign and all that kind of stuff. But I am convinced that they were living in tribulation when John wrote this to them in the first century. And he's saying, if you can be faithful, if you can come out of this great tribulation, you will have washed your robes in the blood of the lamb. Like you've washed your robes and made them white in the lamb's blood, which is not how it typically goes. <laughs> if you wash your clothes in blood, they typically turn red. But our, our imagery here is that they become white. And there was a pagan ritual where they would sacrifice a, a bull and the priest, that lost my battery, and the priest would bathe in the bull's blood and cover him head to toe, and he would be red in the bull's blood. And so here, I mean, it's weird imagery, right? Like we sang that song, there is a fountain filled with blood, and they, that's not, uh, that's a, that's a weird and gross song flowing from Emmanuel's veins, like, ew. But the idea, like that, that was the world they lived in. There were sacrifices and there were animal sacrifices and human sacrifices and blood meant something. And Christ is reclaiming all of that. And he's saying, no, my blood is for the forgiveness of sins. My blood will, will cleanse you and make you free. And my, my blood makes you pure and holy and set free. And so Christ is reclaiming all these things that people were participating in and, and saying, no, there is a better way and so these folks are are worshiping before the throne of god they don't hunger or thirst there's no sun or scorching heat which is good i've got a sunburn currently and it's a little sore uh the the heat will not bear down on them which is good news for those of us that go outside in kansas in july uh, because the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to springs of life giving water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Like that's one of the classic lines from the book of revelation. Um, so obviously we are not there yet, but if we could be faithful, if we could hold on, if we could not give in to the ways of the world, if we could not choose things that are going to lead to our own destruction, we can be part of this great scene before the throne, a multitude too great to count, um, not just a select few. We believe that God, God's salvation is universal. It's for all people. And we then get to respond and choose and answer that God and be a part of this great scene before the throne and the good news of, of no, uh, no more tears, no more heartache, no more hardship. Uh, if you're going through hardship, that's great news, right? Uh, it, if, you're, if, you're, if your life is not what you want it to be, if there's things that are hurting and broken and the promise is if you can no, just what? hang on, it won't continue forever, that's really good news. Uh, we can, if, if you are familiar with 12-step um, reco recovery programs, one day at a time. If you can make it through today, you can make it through today. If you can make it through today. We're not looking, I got to make it. 2000 years before Christ returns. No, I just need to make it through today and be faithful to this Jesus, this lamb who was slain. If I make it through today, does that make sense? Anybody being confused by all this? I felt more confident before I started talking out loud.
Um, but questions, yes. comments. So what do we do with this? What does this matter? Well, it's everything. God wins. It truly gives us a lot of hope. And I can't imagine with as, um, even at our toughest moment, how easy we have it. I can't imagine what hope this must have given those first century Christians and other Christians through time that have been truly oppressed and marginalized. Um, and I, I know I am thrilled that this isn't as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah, this is not as good as it gets. There's something better to come. Uh, and it's, it's uh, definitely, yeah, definitely. And there are churches, like, I imagine if we were a part of an underground church in China, when we would read these words, it would just be the most emboldening thing. Um, you know, if we were in Saudi Arabia right now, and so we have to read it from those positions, because that's who it was written to. And I think one of the challenges for us is because we sometimes have it better and easier, is we need to be more diligent in making sure that we are being faithful and that we're not distracted by all the things that the world offers us. Um, and we don't end up like the church at Laodicea that, that's missing out on what Christ wants to do through the church uh, so, that, so that we can be a part of what God's doing in the world and we can have that hope. Um, hope is a good thing. We need hope. Without hope, uh, it gets really dark really easily. And so we need to remember that our God wins, as Christian said. God wins. And we hang on to that. No matter how bleak it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how much it doesn't make sense, our belief, we are rooted in the fact that our God wins. And, and so we side with that God and we choose that God. And I believe we can experience the victory of that God today. We can, we can have that hope. We can have that encouragement. We can overcome even now what God wants to do someday.